Amen. All right, high five, three, four people, sit down and let's get into the Word. And I want to thank uh, all those who gave to the uh, youth camp as well, and uh, your generosity made a difference. We've got texts and stuff from different kids at the, uh, the youth camp and just of their encounter with Christ, and that's what ultimately it's about, right? It's not just the fun and games, but that, that, that people find Christ in that uh, moment, and that can change people's lives uh, forever. I encourage you to go to the Jesus Revolution movie. Do sign up for that, not just because it's a movie and it'll be a great fun night out, but it tells you a little bit of, of about charismatic Pentecostal history that's very important uh, to know what happened in the 60s among the hippies and the Jesus movement and the, re the, the revolution that followed uh, with that. So I'd really encourage you, let's go and see that um, uh, together. So that, that is a true and powerful uh, story and, and I believe a good movie. So it's got lots of great, uh, great uh, reviews. You ready for the word? Yeah. Good, <laughs> good. Matthew 22 verse 15. It says, then the Pharisees, Pharisees were just religious teachers. It says, then the Pharisees went out and laid plans to trap Jesus in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, and they were just followers of Herod, but really they were like politicians, really. They're, 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 and you know what politicians can be like, right? They're, these guys are like politicians. So they're, they're trying to trap Jesus in his words. Teacher, uh, they said, we know that you're a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to their social media, their TikToks, and their Instagrams. And I want to tell you, that's in the Greek. I'm just telling you if, you, if you dig deep enough, that is in the Greek. But you aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. Tell us then, what is your opinion? Is it right to pay imperial tax? They were under the Roman Empire. Is it right to pay imperial tax to Caesar or not? But Jesus, knowing their evil intent, they weren't asking for or with the right motives, knowing their evil intent, said, you hypocrites, why are you trying to trap me? And he said, show me the coin. Show me the coin used for paying the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. Now, there were a number of coins, of course, that were in circulation in Judea, which is modern-day Israel at the time of Jesus. There were, there were many coins, many currencies around. But because it was a Roman-occupied territory, the Roman denarius was the, if you like, the standard unit of currency at the time, if you would ask the question, what is the denarius worth, the silver denarius in value was really equivalent to the daily wage. It, it was the daily wage for a laborer. If, if, you, if someone worked for you for a day, that's what you'd pay them. You'd pay them a silver denarius. And you can see that Jesus even talks about it. I don't have time to go into it uh, here, but if you want to do your own study in Matthew 20 verse 2, it actually tells us that. And so I'm going to come back to this um, taxing event that we were just talking about. It'll be back tax. Okay, that didn't work. 
But it's kind of, to me, and I've been doing a little bit of study on this this week, but it's kind of fascinating to me how coins are mentioned so often in the New Testament narrative, especially the Gospels, especially in the life and ministry of Jesus. Having just celebrated Easter, of course, perhaps the most infamous mention of coins is that of Jesus being betrayed for 30 silver coins by Judas. You know the story, Judas did a bargain with the authorities in Matthew 26 verse 14. He said, he said, what will you give me? What will you give me if I hand Jesus over to you? So they counted out 30 silver coins for him. And as we've seen, it's not actually a lot of money. It was not, not actually a lot of, that, that is the, the, the price of betrayal. But it was not actually a lot of money. In fact, according to the Mosaic law, it was really just the price of a slave's burial. You can see that in Exodus 21 verse 32. You can look it up in your own time, but it tells us that if a bull was to gouge somebody else's slave and that slave was to die, the price that you, the owner of the bull, would pay for the slave would be 30 pieces of silver. And so the money that Judas betrayed Jesus for was no more than that of a slave's burial. Which is incredible when you, you think of the, the passage before, and I don't have time to go into it. I've got a lot to get through this morning. But if, if you go to the passage right before that betrayal, it's the story of the woman who comes into Simon's household with an alabaster jar and she breaks open this alabaster jar worth almost a year's wages and, and she pours and empties the oil in that over a reclining Jesus head. And it tells us at that time that when the disciples saw that, they, they were indignant. That how, how dare she waste Waste this, this, this oil, pouring it over the head of Jesus. And of course, you would consider it a waste if you saw his very price as that of a slave, of just a few coins of silver. And as I read that, what a challenge it gives to us today, because sometimes we can so easily criticize and the church for its cathedrals and the all that which was spent on him. But we, we've got to be so very careful that we don't call waste what Jesus calls worship. What Jesus calls beautiful. And But I guess if you hold the value of Jesus just to, to, to that of a mere slave, then then I guess you'd understand why people would consider that. And of course, as I studied and I, I learned that and, and, and realized that's what it was saying, I straight away went to Philippians, that 
that talks about the Jesus who made himself nothing. Becoming even a bond servant. The actual Greek word there is the word slave. They, the versions don't say it. They try to avoid it. But the actual Greek word who made himself a slave. Who became nothing. In fact, became obedient to, to, to death, even death on the cross. Suddenly the picture starts to make, make sense. It amazes me how many times coins are used in the Scriptures. Jesus mentioned to use coins, of course, in his, in his parables and in stories. Parables are just stories that illustrate principles in the kingdom. And Jesus would often use stories of coins to, to illustrate kingdom principles. He, he would start off parables, many parables. I can't touch on them all, but... He would start off parables like the kingdom of heaven is like. And then he would tell a story, and many of those stories involved coins. The use of coins in these stories, what did they do? They, they, they helped give clarity and context. They helped give moral meaning to the message he was trying to convey. He'd use these coins to, to help us understand a principle, to give moral meaning to his message. Like in Luke chapter 15, verse 8, the denarius was mentioned as the precious coin that the woman who searched for the coin that was lost in the parable of the lost coin. And again, depending on what Bible version you have, some will use the denarius, others will use the coin, others will use both. But the denarius was mentioned as the precious coin that the woman searched for in the parable of the lost coin. And if you know the parable, Jesus actually tells three parables, one after the other, all very similar, all about something lost. It was the lost sheep, and then a lost coin, and then a lost son. The parable of the lost coin, if you know it, one of the woman's ten coins was lost. And even though the woman had nine coins left, she desperately searched for the one that was lost till she found it. And when she found it, she, she calls her friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost coin. The moral meaning of this message in this parable is what? Well, Jesus goes on to say this, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Jesus here was using coins to demonstrate and to illustrate God's heart for the lost. Again, in Luke 10, verse 35, we have the, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The, in this story of the Good Samaritan, the innkeeper gives the, sorry, the Samaritan gives the innkeeper two, two denarii, two, two coins, to look after the Jewish man who had been robbed and Wounded until he could return. And then he said, when I return, you, you just tell me, how much do I owe? I will pay it 
all, any cost he incurs. And as I studied this, I, uh, again, we, we've got to remember the power of this parable for, because for Samaritans as a people, they were despised by the Jews. And let me say the feeling was mutual. What's interesting to me is, is that Jesus tells this parable in Luke chapter 10 shortly after a very negative Samaritan village encounter in Luke chapter 9. And Luke chapter 9 verse 51 says Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. He wanted to go through a Samaritan village, but they were like, no way, Jose. You're not welcome here. So you've got to understand not all Samaritans were good. And in fact, when this happened, when they were said, no, you cannot pass through, it, it tells us in Luke chapter 9 that Jesus' disciples got so angry. It says James and John got so mad at this, at this rejection, as this, no, you can't pass through here. They, they, they said, Lord, I think they were Pentecostals, they said, Lord, shall we call down fire <laughs> from heaven to destroy these Samaritans? And Jesus is like, calm the farm, guys. <laughs> Settle the kettle. Jesus actually rebukes them. He says, no, John, we'll just go to another village. I, 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 I think that had a big impact on John because he went on to write a whole couple of letters going, God is love. Because I would have destroyed people. I would have smashed them called down lightning, and, and that had an impact. God yeah. is love. He's, he's, he, he's the one who wrote the gospel of John about this, this, this Messiah. John will just go to another village. I love the Bible, how it, how it brings these things together. And so in this parable of the Good Samaritan, the the moral meaning of the message here is Jesus is using this story to, to illustrate who our neighbor was and is. The good Samaritan in this story acts more like the neighbor than the Jewish priest and the Levite who, who passed by the robbed and wounded man on the other side of the road. Jesus be like, go and do likewise. In other words, be a good neighbor. Love your neighbor. And then there's the, the parable of the unjust servant. So many parables with coins in them. And then there's the parable of the unjust servant in Matthew 18. The servant having been forgiven a huge debt by the king, it tells us, 10,000 talents, and you know, you will know the parable of the talents if you've been around the Bible for a while. And, and you've got to understand talents are not coins, they're a, they're a unit measure of weight. And so, when the Bible talks about a talent, some scholars will say this the talent is like, in today's value, like one million dollars worth of gold. It's like, it's like that, it's like, it's like a huge amount. Of gold, and, and, and by the way, they're always finding coins all over the place. In places like Corinth and all those. Did you like Ian's little thing there, Corinthian? 
Yeah, did, you, did you see what he did there? He's, he's pretty fancy. Hey, can we say hi to them? They're probably watching that. Give them a big hello over there. Thank you for that, Ian. Send us more. I think he'll send us one from Israel next. But you see, coins, you know, in the parable of the tons, you know, that, 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 that servant buried the coins. They're, they're still finding tons of coins these days. Why? Because back in those days, there was no ANZ, BNZ, or any kind of banks to do it. So people buried treasure was a thing back then. Besides, the banks are not giving you very good interest anyway. Come on, can I hear an amen? <laughs> but here is this story about this, this servant who the king forgives much, like millions and millions of dollars. But the, the, the thing is, he would not forgive. What's that story about? He would not forgive another servant who owed him a debt of just 100 silver coins, 100 denarii. And in Matthew 18, verse 28, in fact, it tells us that he had that other servant put in prison. He was forgiven so much, but he could not forgive his fellow servant who just owed him a pittance. And of course, the king heard about it and he was mad. Then the king, after he'd heard about it, called him and said, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? The moral meaning of this message is, of course, that Jesus told this parable when the disciples, or specifically the disciple Peter, asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus was like, no, not seven times, seven to the power of, of seven. In other words, you should always, for you have been given, been forgiven of a debt so big that you could never pay it. Who are you to hold on to the debt? Well, that person's hurt me. No, no, you, you, you've got to understand. That person did this. No, no, we have to understand. This is, this is the freedom we have in Christ because we understand he who is forgiven much loves much. And when we understand that the, of what the, the debt that we could never pay, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus. We, when we understand what Christ has paid, we can hold no debt against any other person. Your King Jesus has forgiven a debt you could never pay, so we must forgive others the small debt they owe us. The Roman denarius was made from from silver, as was the shekel, which was another form of currency that you'll see in the New Testament used, but low-value coins were also mentioned in the New Testament. They were made from copper, bronze, and brass. One event in the life and ministry of Jesus where such coins were, were used were, were where Jesus witnessed the poor widow's offering. In Mark chapter 12, verse 42, it says, as Jesus was sitting opposite the temple treasury. He watched the crowd putting money into it. There's an awkward sermon right there. And many rich people put in large amounts. Then one poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amounted to a small fraction 
of a denarius. Hardly any value at all. And it says there in Mark that Jesus, when he saw that, when Jesus saw that, Jesus called his disciples to him. He said, come and see, I want to explain something to you. I, 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 I loved that he draw, draw or drew moral meaning from that moment. He, he uses that moment to deliver a moral message. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more than all the others into the treasury, for they all contributed out of their surplus, out of their excess. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Jesus praises her for what? Jesus praises her for relative to her wealth. She gave more than a millionaire who, 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 who maybe had a million dollars and could give, give half a million, but he would still have half a million left. But she gave her all, and in doing so, she pleased Christ. I love what the 18th century evangelist George Mueller said, God judges what we give by what we keep. There's lessons there. There's moral meaning in his message. Back to the scripture we read first, Jesus said to the Pharisees and the Herodians who were trying to trap him, he said, show me, show me the coin used for paying the tax. They, they brought him a denarius and Jesus asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? Well, Caesar's, they replied. And he said to them, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. The word image that is used there is the Greek word icon, which is actually a word you saw in there in Greece, in Corinth, at an Orthodox church there, which still use icons in their worship and their, as part of their service. But that's where the word comes from. The word image here is the Greek word icon, and and. It means this, it means likeness, representation, a likeness, representation, or resemblance of something. Jesus asks the people, whose image, whose likeness, whose resemblance is on this coin? Caesar's, they answer. Jesus says to them, give to Caesar. Then what is Caesar's and to God, what is God's? In other words, if Caesar's image and likeness and resemblance is on the coin, give it to him, surrender it to him, render it to him. If Caesar's image is on it, it belongs to him. In Genesis 1 verse 27, it says, So God created mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. My brothers, my sisters, you and I were created in his image. We are made in God's likeness, in God's resemblance. We are made in God's image. Genesis 1 verse 27. It's in the beginning. 
We are made in God's image. Whose image is on the coin? Jesus asked. Caesar, they asked. Well, give to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's. What belongs to God? That which bears his image. That which bears his image. You belong to God. I belong to God. You belong to God. His image, his likeness, his resemblance marks our lives like that of Caesar's marking the coin. We belong to him. My friend, my brother, my sister, as followers of Christ, we belong to him. Give to God what is God's. You belong to him. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 20 tells us that you are not your own. Well, I'm just going to do whatever I want and live however I want. No, no. My brother, my sister, you are not your own. For you were bought with a price. The forgiveness that we have in Christ is free but not cheap. Because God is own son, you are brought, you are not your own. Romans 12 tells us that, 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 that we, our lives are like a living sacrifice. It says we're to live a life that is holy and pleasing to God. It says this is not your best service. It just says this is your reasonable service. It's just reasonable. He, he gave everything for us, so therefore we give everything to him. Our life is not our own. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. Live a life worthy of this gospel you have received. Our world is obsessed with image. Our world is obsessed with identity. We even have terms like identity politics now, which is people are trying to use that to control and to lead. But it's obsessed, absolutely obsessed with image. This culture that we live in today, and I, I, I speak and I hope you can hear my heart today. I'm a shepherd speaking to God's people. But this culture that we live in today is trying to carve its craven image on you and in you. So it can say with pride, you belong to us. I want to say to you here today, don't bow down. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, just say no. Refuse to bow down to the image the kings of this Babylon have made. There will be times in your life where choices must be made, where stands must be taken. This is one of them. With Candace, I was talking to Candace. She was telling 
a story. I hope you don't mind. Too late, Candace. It's going global. <laughs> but she was telling a story of it being in a rock concert somewhere in, in Auckland, and, and the crowd was going crazy, and, and, and then the, the, the band, and this was a big concert, right? This is a, everyone would know what concert. Yeah, big day out. And what, what did they say? What did they say, Candace? So they said to the singer, the lead singer gets up and goes, we want everyone to bow down and worship the devil. What did you do, Candace? And other people? Give it up for Candace. Well done. <laughs> Just say no. When I lived in India, and we're, we're going to India tomorrow, but when I, when I lived in India, I, I, I've told the story of being pulled into a moment of, in what was called the Ganesha Festival, where we were pulled in, where hundreds and hundreds of thousands of people were worshiping the god Ganesh. And we'd gone down there to, to see what, we, we hadn't seen that festival before, but we were on a bridge and we were trapped as these thousands of people are dancing before these guys, they're drunk, they're they're celebrating, and, and, and can I say, just even in our culture, you have to be careful what festivals you're celebrating here. Please, please understand that they don't come neutral. And they, 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 we were on the edge, me and another guy called Peter Capel, and they... We were pulled in to, to this, this idol, ginormous, the, it was on a, on a truck, the elephant guard, and they were like, dance, dance. And we're like, no. I will not, and I tell you, you know, it's not, God gives a grace in those moments. God gives a grace in those moments. I was like, no, we will not dance before, before this idol. And we were freaking out and eventually just, I don't know if it's an angel or what, but someone threw us out to the side, and the next thing, they were over there, and we were here on the bridge. But there comes times in our lives where we just got to say no. Like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and Candace. Just say no. Don't bow down, for you belong to him. And we, second commandment, we are not to make for ourselves any craven image. For the God we serve, he's a jealous God. He's not jealous like a... Like, like some sort of like, oh, I'm so jealous of what you have kind of, kind of thing. That, that's not the jealousy it talks about. The jealousy that it talks about is that we are in a covenant relationship with, with him and we are like, we are his people. He, that's, that's why we're called a bride. And, and when the bridegroom says, stop your whoring. <laughs> not in my notes, I'm just going with the flow here. <laughs> But it's, it's like, stop, I, I will not share you, you're, you. I am my beloved's and he, he's mine, you're mine, you're my people, you're the sheep after my 
pasture, hold my, that's the kind of jealousy it is. You, you, you belong to me. We're, we're in covenant together. We're married together. I, I, I'm the bridegroom. You're, you're the bride. And he will not share his glory with another. Not in my notes. I've given that for free this morning right now. But don't bow down. For you belong to him. We, we are his people. We are made in his image, in his likeness. And so whose image is on you? God's. Then give to him what belongs to him. I said as I began the sermon that Jesus mentioned or used coins to demonstrate and illustrate kingdom principles. The use of coins helped to give clarity and context and moral meaning to the message. So what is the moral meaning of this message? Over the years when I've spoken on this passage in Luke, give, give me the coin, whose image is on it? Caesar's, give to Caesar's what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. I've, I've always ended up taking us to Genesis chapter 1, verse 27, as it, as it declares so clearly whose image and likeness we are made in. But, but I've never had to read the full verse. I've never needed to. But I do today. What is the moral meaning of this message? So God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. That is biology, not ideology. The world, listen my friends, the world is trying to make a God in its own image and in its own likeness. That's what our culture is trying to do. It's, try, it's trying to make its own God in, in its own image and in its own like, uh, likeness. And I want to say to you today, my brothers and my sisters, don't bow down. Someone said this, the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people to do nothing. Don't bow down. Don't give up. There endeth the lesson. Give God some praise in this house today. Thank you, Jesus. Would you stand? Friend, you might be here and you don't know who you are. You don't know your identity. I want you to know today that the Bible says that He knit you together in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You are not a cosmic accident. You are made by God. God created you. He formed you and fashioned you. And your life has value and meaning. You find your identity in Him, not in anything else. You find your identity in God who gave His life for you that you might know freedom today. How can I follow this God? Just surrender your life to Him. Just say, be my King, be my Lord. Seek to follow His Word and follow it. Learn of His commands. Love Him with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And commit yourself to, to learn and grow in His Word. And He will lead you on the path to life. His Word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Let His Word 
Light your way. Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge Him in all of your ways. And He will make your path straight. Give your life to Him. Give your life to Him. Say, God, I come to you. I'm not worthy of anything. But God, today I surrender my life to you. And I will follow you all the days of my life, no matter what. Today I surrender my life. I acknowledge that you are the King of kings and the Lord of lords. In you I find my identity. In you I find my purpose. Pray that prayer and your life will change. Hallelujah. Let me pronounce a blessing over you as you go from this place today. Would you put your hands out like this if you're ready to receive? Risen Christ, come in your victorious power. Affirm us and in us the goodness of God. Give us new life. Reconcile us in peace. Assure us of your final triumph. Make us faithful in witness. Fulfill in us your promises. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. And everybody said, amen. amen. Give him some praise in the house. If you need prayer for anything, there'll be a prayer station over there, people ready to pray with you. Don't bow down. Don't give in. Go and make a difference. Wherever you go this week. Have a nice week. Have a cup of coffee. And enjoy. <laughs>